0: Would you stand with me in honor of the reading of the Word of God? Second Samuel chapter 6 in verse 1 says, Again David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000, and David rose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the Ark of God, whose name is called by the name the Lord of Hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the Ark of God on a new cart, And brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Yuza and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments, of firwood, on harps on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on sistrums, and on cymbals. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Yuza put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Yuza, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez-Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David, but David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom And all his household. Now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Then he distributed among all the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both women and men, both the women and the men, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat. And a cake of raisins, so all the people departed, everyone to his house. Then David returned to bless his household, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of of the maid of his servants, as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to Michael, It was before the Lord, who chose me instead of your father and all his house to... "...appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore I will play music before the Lord, and I will be even more undignified than this, and I will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken by them, I will be held in honor. Therefore Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children." To the day of her death. Let us pray. Father, we come before You in the name of Your Son, Jesus, Lord. We praise You, we worship You, and we love You. Thank You for Your presence in this place already this morning. God, we come before You humbly. We need Your presence. I'm asking You to anoint my lips, anoint my tongue. May I preach Your Word clearly, boldly, unashamedly, in fear of You only, God. Lord, I, just, I need Your unction. I need Your leading. Nothing more, nothing less. We ask You this, Lord. Uh, Anoint the rest of the service. Be with us. I ask You to awaken spiritual ears and eyes, God. Minister. Change lives, Lord. I pray that You'd save souls in this place today. I pray that You'd let faith arise and encourage the saint. Father, we need You and we praise You. We want You. Give us of Yourself. You are our reward. We love You. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. We see here, for a hundred years, a hundred long years, the Ark of the Covenant has been separated from the tabernacle, from the place of worship. There is many reasons for that, a, a, a few different reasons. The Philistines has captured it, but the main reason the Ark of the Covenant had been separated from the tabernacle, from the places of worship for so long, the main reason was the faulty leadership in Israel. We see, I, I think his name is... Um, Eli Eli, and we, we know about his wicked sons in the temple, and, and then later, the first king of Israel, which was Saul. Saul never really, truly followed God, and he never really restored the, the, the temple worship. And as we pick up in the story, in the previous chapter, David has just defeated and taken over the city of Jerusalem. For the very first time in a long time, a hundred years, David is bringing the Ark of the Covenant back. Its resting place had been off Jerem. That's where it had been most of the time. But David is building, is really kind of putting together the foundation of his kingdom. The foundation of his reign. Israel for the first time in a long time is fully being united. And David recognizes that. And at the foundation of his kingdom, he wanted Jerusalem to not only be the political center of the nation, but the religious center of the nation david wanted to bring the ark of the covenant back he wanted to bring it he he erected a a, a temple a, a tabernacle it was it was actually a tent on mount zion and that's where he was going to bring it we know later his son uh solomon built the house for the lord but david wanted to bring back the ark of god the ark of god was a token it, it was a token of god's very presence The ark of God, I read a commentary that said the ark of God literally is a picture of Christ. It is a type of Christ. uh, God's presence rested upon the Ark of the Covenant. I'm so thankful today that since Jesus died, since the the, victory has been won on Calvary's cross, you and I now are the temple of the living God. Now we have the presence, the infilling, the dwelling of the Spirit of God within us. But they had the presence of God in the Ark of the Covenant, and David desired the presence of God. He desired to bring the ark back to restore the worship. Can I say this this morning? We need some men and women. We need some people to let faith arise who desire, as David did, the presence of God again. We need some people who say, God, I want your presence. God, I want you. We have so much church today. We've got so many Bible teaching and preaching. We've got it more than we've ever had. And we've got less of the presence of God than we've ever seen. David saw and he understood. God, we need your presence. God, we need you. Can I tell you this morning we still need the presence of God. We still need the power of God. We still need God's word. We still needed to be, we need to be devoted to the worship of God. You see, the worship of God. I heard it once said, "The worship of God. Worship is who I am. Praise is what I do. Worship is who I am. Well, what do you mean? Worship is exactly it's who I am. It's what I do every day. You can worship God where you're at work, being silent, being faithful, being a good steward. See, praise is what you do. I want to say this: Your praise will not be right if your worship's not right." But hey, listen, the foundation, the first thing we see, David seeks the presence of God. He seeks the Ark of the Covenant. He he wants to bring God in. I want to say this. When you bring in God, when you want His presence, you must have your worship correct. You must have your worship correct. We see that David sins for the Ark and, and things drastically go wrong. We see that they, they put it on a new cart, and, and then Uzzah reaches out and touches the cart and he dies. And I want to say this, they weren't being obedient to what God had told them. And there may be a few reasons for that. Maybe, um, maybe it had been so long, maybe David overlooked it. Maybe he forgot about it. It doesn't exactly say, but we know this. There was a commandment given on a special certain way to carry the ark. That was not carried out. They didn't carry it the way it was told to be. It was, they were told to have it on the shoulders of the Levites. And also, Yuza reached out and touched it. It, it. A lot of times when we read this story, are like, man, that's pretty harsh. Uzzah reached out and touched the ark of God, and he died on the spot. I want to say this. The presence of God is not something to be toyed with. I also want to say this. I read a commentary. I thought this sounded pretty good. This is mere speculation because it does not exactly say. It so says the cart stumbled, and he reached out and touched it. I read a commentary that said, hey, maybe Uzzah, you know, the, cart, uh, uh, the ark hadn't been out in a very long time. Maybe the ark was brought out and he was kind of in front of the side of all the people. Maybe he was just being a little bit too close to it. Maybe he was kind of being like, hey, look at me and how close I am to the ark. You know, Maybe he just a little stumbled and he reached out and touched it, kind of showing everybody, hey, look what I can do. I can touch it. He was not to touch the ark of the covenant. That was, what got, that was pure and utter disobedience. It was sheer and utter disobedience. I want to say this this morning. Disobedience will exit the presence of God. You see, they wanted the presence of God. They wanted to worship and they started. But what happened? We see at the end the result, you died. David is fearful and angry. And what happens? The worship stops. You know, a lot of times with the church, so much, I believe this is true, we want the presence of God but our worship isn't correct. We kind of have this attitude from the church, at least that we're doing something. That doesn't matter to God if you're not being obedient to the things that God has clearly spoken. God has given us a way. He has given us a way to worship. And I'm listen, here's, I'm not saying that if you just disobey God, you lose your salvation and God flees from you. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this. We have a lot of, the, much of the church today that people who are saved and born again walk around in the flesh, walk around in willful disobedience in their heart. They just live in the flesh, and they don't have the very presence of God. It's like they got God's stuff. They want to know they're taken care of, but they want to do it their own way, just as Saul did before him. We know what happened to Saul. We must learn to be obedient. Disobedient will exit the very presence of God. It's credible to me the things that we know we ought to do. To him who knows the right thing and does not do it, to him it is sin. It is incredible and staggering how much I believe of the church. First of all, let me say this. I got ahead of myself. You've got to know God's Word. Zeal without knowledge is not good. The Bible says in Hosea, my people perish for lack of knowledge. Can I say it is your responsibility, child of God, to know His Word. You need to know what it says. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing the Word of God. You know, listen, I've stood before judges before. I've been in chains. I've been in a jumpsuit. You cannot go and stand before the judge and say, well, I didn't know that was the law. You know what they'll tell you? That's your responsibility as a citizen, sir. That's what they'll tell you. It's not an excuse. You must know the law. You must know God's Word. Too much, much, of, people, uh, much of God's people today, we perish for lack of knowledge. Deal with that knowledge is not good. It is your responsibility to know God's Word. It's incredible to me today how many of us have the attitude that, well, at least we're doing something. It's incredible to me how much of the church today, we know the things that we ought to do. to him who knows the right thing to do does not do it as sin. What do you do with your time, your treasures, your talents, your treasures? Malachi 3.8. Will a man rob God? And what have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. I read a number recently about how much of the church tithes. I thought it was going to be something awful like 50%. And this is an overall, the Church of America. I thought it was going to be something awful like 50%, 40%. I'll be honest, I can't remember what it was, but it was a whole lot lower than that. I was shocked. I was shocked. Three and a half percent, man. i got to tell you, that shocks me. Three and a half percent of the church tithes, Will a man rob God? Here's God's Word. Worship is what I do. Worship is the choices that I make. It's who I am. So if I'm not giving of my tithes and my offering, I'm disobeying God. I willfully and openly say, God, I know Your words told me to do this, but I'm doing this. Well, at least I'm giving something. Friend, that's not not an excuse. It's incredible. Well... Uh, you know, I know Pastor Branson, you don't need to talk about money. You know, the enemy's kind of burned us on that. we got all these hypocrites and fakes on TV talking about prosperity gospel and give this and you'll get that back. Hey, listen, I don't really pay attention a lot to the foolishness and the voice of the enemy. I try, I, I try not to. I try and put it out as best as I can. But I want to say this. God has called me to preach His Word. And I will not shirk my responsibility because the enemy's put up a whole bunch of stinking lies out there. I want to say this. You are called to tithe. You are called to give. Hey, listen. When I got saved, I was 25, almost 26. I was a scallywag. I had nothing. I'll tell you what I owed was a bunch of probation fines. I even had to go serve a few days in jail. God, I had nothing. And listen, I want to say this this morning. It's just things. But can I say this this morning? I don't know why, but it was bred into me from when I was little. When I got saved, I began to tithe. And I began to give of the Lord every single time. If I had a, it didn't matter if I had a dollar left. If I only had a dollar left, I'd be like, man, well, I'm doing really bad. I'll give you the whole stinking thing. But I tithe. And you know what? God has been faithful to me. God has been good to me. I've got a beautiful wife. I've got a family. I've got a home. I've got a good job. Man, I'm not very smart. I'm a manager at a store, believe it or not. God's been faithful and good to me. And those are just things. They're just things. People talk about the prosperity gospel. There is prosperity in God's Word. It's just not the way the enemy's twisted it. We think prosperity is all this stuff, all this stuff. Hey, some of you, if you got $100,000, a million dollars, it would absolutely spiritually ruin you. God's more worried about your spirit, not your stuff. The Frank, can I say, how could I withhold from what God has given me? How could I withhold from all that He's blessed me? How could I rob God who's placed all that I have in my hands? I don't know about you, but I don't want to come up and stand and look someone in the face and say, I'm a Christian, but I'm being disobedient and this is my life. Much of the church, and this is just one area, it's just one area of many things, the church, your treasures, your time, your talent. What do you do with the times God's placed in your life? Are you being faithful? Telling you much of the church today, well, they didn't have that format here, Branson. They didn't go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Well, you know what? You're right. Their format was different. I can tell you this. I've read it. They went to church a whole lot more than we do. This is the way our culture is. Listen, I don't know about you. Maybe it's just me, but I'll say this. I need to be here. I need to be here Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. If I've missed, if I've been sick or had something going on, it feels like i am missed church for a month. It's easy to get away. I need to be here. I need to hear preaching and teaching. I need to be faithful. I need to be obedient in my worship. I need to be obedient to what God has told me to do. Don't forsake the assembling of yourself together. Do the things you know you want to do. If you want God's presence in your life, you cannot be walking willfully and disobedient. It will exit the presence of God. I'm telling you, that is much of the church today. The presence of God has left the place. We've got no power. We don't have the presence. We see as a result, Uzzah died. And David uh, was angry and the worship stops. But we see David goes back and he gets it right. he, He goes back for a reason. In verse... Eleven, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his household. Now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. Can I say this? Obed-Edom was doing it right. Obed-Edom was being obedient. We don't hear a whole lot about it, but I can tell you based on what happened, he was being obedient. The obedience, obedience in our worship invites the presence of God. Obedience is the key that fits every single time. Uh, let the worship be restored that our praise may be revived. If you want your praise, your praise won't be right until your worship's right. We must look at Obed Edom and be obedient. All that he had was blessed. You know what it says? It said it was told to David. It was told to, it was told King David saying the Lord's blessed. Listen, there was a report. People could see. They could physically tell. Listen. And we don't know exactly what it was. I read an account that Josephus, the actual historian, wrote an account that the house of Obed-Edom, that he was poor. And when the presence of God was there for three months, the ark of God, when he left, everything he had was blessed. I don't know about you, I want God's presence. I want people to give a report and say, Man, Branson's blessed. All that he has, all that he does, he's blessed. His wife's blessed. His kids are blessed. Everything he does is just blessed. He's got the sheer presence of God on all that he does. Friend, God has given us a certain way. He has given us instruction through His Word. If you'll carry it out, you've been set up for victory. It is finished. The victory has been won. You have been set. You have been made to be victorious in this life. The Father is glorified by this, that you you bear much fruit. Obedience is the key that fits every time. It will invite His presence. We need the presence of God. David wrote this. David wrote in Psalm 68, this was actually during 2 Samuel chapter 6. verse uh, da, uh, Psalm 68, verse 1 and 2 says, and he wrote this during the time of this exact story we're reading. Psalm 68, let God arise, let his enemies be scattered, let those also who hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, listen, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. Verse 8. The earth shook, the heavens also dropped rain at the presence of God. Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God. The God of Israel, he was talking about the presence of God. Church, we need the presence of God. Did you hear that? The presence of God will cause the wicked to flee. The presence of God will cause his enemies to perish. Not only that, I'm the temple. God, I'm being sanctified, I've been justified. Get this out of me. You know, why did Jesus change water to wine? That was the first thing we ever saw. Why? I'm sure there's something a whole lot deeper than this, but here's what I took from it. Jesus changes things. The presence of God changes things. He can change a storm. He can change your situation. He can run the wicked out of you. He'll sanctify you. He will make the wicked a, a, a flee. Since the heavens dropped rain at His presence. God, rain down your righteousness. God, fill me with your presence again. If my people are called by my name, so the, the heavens will open up. God, give us your presence again. Fill us with yourself again. It says the mountains, the mountain of Sinai shook. God moves the mountains. Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to say He still can move the mountains, church. His presence still makes the enemy flee. His presence, oh, it's powerful. We need the presence of God. Listen, if you want the presence of God, not only must you seek it, but you must be obedient. You must know His Word. Invite it with your obedience. God, I will worship you correctly. When I get my worship right, my praise is going to be right. I thought about Paul and Silas. I thought about Paul and Silas when they were in that prison and the presence of God came. You know the greatest thing about the presence of God? It's Him. You know, the presence of God filled that uh, that dungeon. That stinky dungeon with all them stinking rats. They're on that dirt floor. And the chains and the bars all open up. And the jailer says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Trembling. You know, I, I just thought about this. Now, sirs, we're all here. Why didn't any of them get up and leave? Maybe it's because the presence of God made that place so stinking sweet they didn't want to.
1: Amen.
0: Right, listen, can I tell you this? I don't care where you're at. There ain't no place sweeter than the presence of God. The greatest thing about the presence of God is God Himself. God, we need you. Listen, get your worship right. If you don't get your worship right, you won't get your praise right. David goes back and does it right this time. There is a way that is right. Chris is going to come sing a song right in the middle of the sermon and it speaks to what the sermon is this morning.
1: Clear the stage and set the sun. The measure you must take to crush the idols. Jerk the pews and all the decorations too until the congregation's youth and have revival. Tell your friends this is where the party ends until you're broken for your sins, you can't be social. He's an idol And anything
2: and set the sound and lights ablaze if that's the measure you must take to crush the idols. There is a way to worship. I pick up the story in the second part of our text today. David has gone back and he goes back to get the ark and when he goes back this time, they don't try to pull the thing on a new cart. They carry it on the shoulders of the Levitical priest like they were supposed to do. And as a result of doing it the way that God told them to do it, they make it back home. The first time that David went and tried to bring home the ark, it resulted in the death of somebody. David was angry. And as Branson said, like many of us, sometimes we think, you know, I'm serving God to some capacity. He owes me something. And when things go wrong, we get frustrated. I want to say, though, that David got so focused on getting the ark back that he didn't care how he got it there. I want to say that, first of all, in our Christian walk, we cannot be so focused on getting where we think God wants us to be that we become flippant about how we get there. Crossway Church, as we continue to grow and expand And reach people for Jesus Christ. And we look at one day having to build a building. God forbid that we become unconcerned about how we get there. And the only thing that matters is that somehow we get there. David learned his lesson and he went back. And this time they abandoned the new cart. There are a lot of new carts in our day that are justified by the masses. What a new cart was, it was very traditional in that uh, time and it, it almost was more prestigious. if they, they had. It was basically a very large thing that the animals would pull and that's what it was done. They were being pulled by oxen and, and uh, no doubt that whatever cart they had made uh, was magnificent. No doubt that it looked incredible. No doubt that it required strong oxen to pull it and no doubt that from the average community Uh, looking at the cart come by, they would say this is something honorable. But that wasn't the way that God said His ark was to be carried. I had Chris sing that song this morning because in a lot of ways, so much of the commercialism of the church has become a new cart. Set the sound, the lights ablaze, if that's the measure you must take to crush the idols. Talking about worship this morning, and we live in a culture, that, a church culture, when I say our culture, I'm talking about the church, that has defined great worship as having the best band, with the best singers, with the best music, with the loudest speakers, with the best light show. And we, we can be mistaken by such a magnificent presentation that we are emotionally moved and yet we're never really worshiping God. We want worship that moves God, not us. That is the purpose of worship. Worship is not to move us. It is to move God. He's the one we're worshiping. God forbid our worship band ever get up here and think their object is to move you. The only thing they ought to move you to do is to move Him. You see, God is not moved by loud music. God does not hear what we say the louder we scream it. The louder we sing it, the louder the speakers are. It doesn't somehow penetrate heaven the louder you get it. Nor is God necessarily against loud music. The point is, the speakers aren't for God. God hears right past all of that to what's really coming from the heart. God's not moved by lights. I went to a concert a few years ago from a very good Christian artist. and It was a, it was a good concert, and I'm not, uh, not going to tell you the name of the guy because you might take me wrong. I think he has a great music ministry. But I was really put out by the light show. I just thought, this thing is so flashy that I can't even really concentrate on God. This is about the greatest concert, not the greatest God. And the thing is, that's what our culture has begun to tell us. That's what worship is. And I thought about lights. God's not moved by lights. God, The the light that radiates from God is so bright that in heaven there's no need for sun. That's so hard for us to understand. We cannot really fathom the brightness of that light. And I think God's certainly not moved by all the the greatest light show that any church has ever put on hasn't made God come down off His throne and rejoice. But nor is He necessarily opposed to them. I'm not saying they're evil either. God's not even moved by incredible harmony. God is not moved by a musical masterpiece. He's not necessarily opposed to them either. God's not even moved by the old time way. I've seen people say, you know, know, the reason God ain't moving here or there is because you've abandoned the old-time way. Listen, I've traveled some. I've been in a handful of different places. I've been in some places where they do it the old-time way. I mean hymns only, southern gospel, hacking preacher, and you know I get to hacking sometimes. I'm not putting that stuff down. But listen, I have been in churches that do that, and it is dead as a doornail it's because it's about the heart it's not about the method it's not about what style of music it's not about which way and we have become such a, a a ridiculous christian culture of which way are you which cart do you pull which cart is your church and my prayer is that we at crossway church break through that that we do not become that that we realize worship is about the heart God is moved by those who worship in spirit and in truth. David and, and, and the group, they get together. The Bible doesn't tell us a lot about what happened during that three months other than Obed-Edom's house prospered. That's all that we know about it. I have no doubt there was some soul-searching with David. David was angry. I don't know about you, and I've seen people do it, and I'm not who to say I wouldn't. You go to all the effort to go do something nobody else has ever done, ark has been in Kiriath wherever for 92 years. At least I went to get it. Oh, and now God, You repay me with this. We learn something about God. God is not moved by our tantrums. God's not moved by them. You don't know better than God. God does not owe you anything. God wants us to realize at some point in time, this is serious. He is the creator of heaven and earth. He is the great I am. He is the one who has the power to speak and out of nothing create everything. He is the one who took dust and formed man and then breathed into him the breath of life. This is the great eternal God and we do not make the rules. And He deserves our worship. Not because He's going to give us stuff, but because He is God. He is worthy of our worship. And they go back and they do it right this time. And they carry it the way they're supposed to carry it. And they bring the ark. And as the ark arrives into Jerusalem, there is great joy because David realizes, we made it. We made the journey. God has honored. God has blessed. This is God's approval because God surely showed us His disapproval back there. But now the ark is coming in. And what I want us to look at now is what worship looks like. Look at verse 14. Then David danced before the Lord with all of his might. David danced before the Lord with all of his might. Think about the statement all of his might. I promise You're not going to like the rest of this sermon a lot, but here's what I promise. If you listen carefully and let it sink into your heart, you're going to see it's biblical. If you don't like being preached to, then why did you come this morning? Do you really show up to hear me preach about every other church in the world and make you feel like you found the one place that's true? Is that why you came? I hope not. I'm here to preach to you. The first thing I want you to see, real worship is with all His might. And this is not a, by the way, this is not like some uh, philosophical thought. I mean, this is His physical strength. His physical strength. All of His might. He was jumping and leaping, the Bible tells us. Worship is with all of your might if it's real worship. Notice it was before the Lord. He danced before the Lord. That's what it says in verse 14. But guess what? Everybody else saw it. You see that? Our lame, prideful excuses for why we don't worship God because worship personal is nothing but a lame, devilish, way to cower down in your pride and not deal with it oh i just was between me and the lord it is between you and the lord you got it bingo but the fact that you won't do it in front of anybody says a whole lot more about your heart than you think it does david danced with all of his might before the lord in the sight of the people when we come to worship we come together but we're coming to worship before the Lord. I want you to think about the worship we just had this morning as a as corporate worship as we gather together. And I want you for a moment to do the best you can to visualize everybody in this room blacked out. You can't see their faces. You can't see how they're worshiping. You don't know what they're doing. And from from the perspective of heaven, looking down in this place, the only thing you can see is your chair. What did God see this morning as you worship before the Lord? I would say for most of you it was anything but worship. For most of you. I would say if you really saw the replay and you saw from God's perspective, you'd probably be embarrassed of the way you don't worship the Lord. Worship's incredibly important. God has created us to be creatures of worship. Now, I'm not here to tell you that every one of you should have been jumping up and dancing and leaping. But I am here to tell you that's what David did, and he did it with all of his might. David danced before the Lord. Leaped before the Lord. Men these days are just too embarrassed to worship. That's what the real thing is. Men are embarrassed to worship. And by the way, men, be ready for an all-out rehaul of, of, of manhood coming in this church because we need godly men in this church. I'm getting there later, I'm getting ahead of myself, just trying to ranting this morning. But I am downright ashamed at the lack of men involved in our ministries. It is not the women's job to teach our children the Word of God. It is not your wife's job to teach every single class that involves women. Get involved, men. Love the Lord. Let the kids see that you love God. Let them see in the way that you worship that you think God is worthy of worship. Let the ladies see that you think God is worthy of worship. But we just, we're just we kind of in a culture where it's too embarrassing. When we read some of the Old Testament stuff, we see not only David here, but we see a lot of times when they gathered together for worship, it says the men fell on their face. I want you to think about that. The men fell on their face. Look at our church. Let's just say we tried right now to have all the men fall on their face. What would you do? You smash your head into the back of the pew in front of you. Now I'm being serious. I'm telling you I've thought about what I'm telling you right now. We've designed the church to not even include space for worship. We've designed the church to be a place where you pack them in as close as you can in rows to come hear the preacher speak. And we do our best to emulate worship. Most of you men would be terrified to fall on your face in front of anybody here and really worship God. And I'm going to tell you something. Whether you agree with it or not, you're wrong. It's pride. It's not that you just have dignity. It's that you're prideful. The thought of you worshiping when everybody else isn't, the thought of you looking silly, the thought of what people are thinking, what people look is the real thing that keeps us from worshiping God the way the Spirit within us really knows and wants and desires to worship Him. Here's what I want to say though. Worship is manly. Worship is manly. I'd like to think that I'm quite the man. I'm sure that each of you would too. But I want to tell you something. There's none of us that have ever fought the bear, fought the lion, looked Goliath in the face and thrown the stone to sink that giant in front of everybody and become a man of war like David. David was a man's man. He was not a sissy. David was not a pushover. This guy was tough. This is the king of Israel. This is the man after God's own heart. This is the man's man of all men, the warrior hero David that I'm talking about, who's jumping and leaping in front of everybody, not caring what they think, because he does what he does before the Lord. Worship is manly. David, David, uh, uh, is dancing before the Lord. And the Bible tells us that his wife looked on him, saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Satan has a Michael to meet all of us. And here's what, here's what else I want to say. Not only is there a Michael in every congregation and several of them that, that, that will do whatever they can to tamper down the worship of God, there's a Michael in the heart of each of us. The flesh wars against the Spirit. The flesh despises when the Spirit has full control to just worship God. And so not only is there a Michael in the congregation and anywhere you go that's going to try to make belittle you for really worshiping God and and, and for not looking like the rest of the crowd and not being like everybody else, there's a Michael deep inside all of us that says, well, I don't want to look embarrassed. worship is more than a song notice her attack on david is that he looked like one of the base fellows who shamelessly uncovers himself for sake of time this morning i've got a i've got a rush and so here's what i'm going to tell you the real problem she had is that when david began to leap and dance He took off some of his outer garments that really separated him as the king. Quite frankly, all that he would have been wearing probably made it difficult for him to leap and dance with all of his might. And he said, enough of this crazy dignified stuff. Let's just take this off and take that off and let's just dance the way I want to dance. And his wife looked through the window and said, my husband looks like everyone else in there. He's a commoner. He's left his prestige and all of his honor to, the, to decide to, to look like a stupid fool because he's happy about the ark coming home, and she despised him. There are those who are more concerned about the prestige of the position than the purpose of the position, and that has plagued the modern-day church. We want to look professional. Because we're taught that professionalism is what gets you somewhere. We want to look like CEOs and churches have become rather than pastors and fathers of sons and daughters. We've got CEOs that are over other business people. It's all about business and what we look like and, and how we expand and this and that. And we have lost the heart of worship in such a large way in the modern day American church. She was concerned about the prestige of the per- position. David was concerned about the purpose of it. David understood God called me from here from a youth for a purpose and it wasn't about me. It wasn't to build up my name. It wasn't to look like the greatest king that there's ever been. But it was to restore worship. It was to honor God. And I'm going to do everything I can to honor the one who saved me, the one who called me, the one who changed me, the one who anointed me, the one who has placed me in this very position. I'm going to do it with a purpose to honor and glorify God. There are those who are concerned about what it looks like. And those who are concerned, are always those who watch instead of those who worship. I want to ask you this morning, do you watch or do you worship? Do you watch or do you worship? Do you watch or do you worship? Good news for you is I only have one more point, but I'm going to hammer this home for a little bit before you get out of here. Because I'm going to tell you what I fear. I fear that a multitude of you somehow, some that way are in some capacity stirred up and there's something inside you that says, you know, this is right. I am embarrassed to worship God. I think it's stupid when people shout. I don't like it when anything gets, uh, you know, when someone wants to come up to the front and dance or do this or that. And and we ought to have a very formal style of worship. Now, I know there's No real biblical evidence for that. I know that we're looking at King David, the the one that God said was a man after his own heart, leaping with all of his might. And so I know there's some merit to this. But I just want this sermon to get over so I can get back out there and wrap my mind back around all the reasons I have for why my worship is private and go about my way and hope that we don't hear about this again for another year. I fear that's going to happen. For some of you it will. For some of you you have already decided before the sermon's over that's what you're going to do with it. But here's what I I just want to put this thought out there and hope that somehow, some way, it keeps you from doing that. When the music does fade and all is stripped away, and you simply come. And you come and you stand before the Lord. Will you come and honestly be able to say, God, I used the life you gave me. I used the voice I had. I used the hands I had. I used the legs I had. I I used what I had to worship you. And I wasn't afraid what people thought. I wasn't embarrassed of you and I worshipped you. You see, because God knows your heart and you know your heart. Will you really be able to say that? And if not, will you begin to pray for God to give you the strength and the courage to break through that? Here's my last point. David's wife comes and ridicules him. God help us to never ridicule other people for the way that they worship. You do not have to worship like me. You don't have to worship like sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so. But you need to learn to worship God. I have no doubt David was wounded. I have no doubt about that. He was wounded. But thank God, he had some time to think about it. He said, I don't care. I'm not going to be so wounded. I'm going to quit praising God. And his response was, I will become, look at verse 22, even more undignified than this and will be humble in my own sight. I will become even more undignified than this. You know that's the problem. We, we want to have our dignity. I'm telling you, it's a pride issue. It is a pride issue. That's what it is. It's a pride issue with me. It's a pride issue with you. It is a pride issue, period. We are embarrassed to be people who, who are totally undignified and abandoned in our love for the one who saved us. We want it to look nice. We want it to look neat. We want it to be impressive. We want it to, to fit everybody's view of what good, solid Christianity would look like. And if we would just learn at times to let the pop top come off, sometimes you guys are like that uh, soda pop that you, you shake and it's just ready to blow and you're doing everything you can. Hold that cap on. Hold that cap on. Hold that cap on. Just let it go. Who cares what it looks like? Just let it go. It might feel silly to you, but just let it go. Who cares what people think? There have been times I've thought as a pastor, I didn't want to draw attention to somebody. But there have been times I've wanted to recognize people and just say, thank you. There were several several months ago, Jason Thomas don't do it all the time, right in the middle of sermon, he just stood up and screamed. Some of you remember. Some of you were mad. I wasn't. I didn't want to draw attention to him. It's not about people. It's not about... But I thought, sometimes you've got to acknowledge that this is good. Just be real. Just be authentic. Worship God. I will become more undignified than this. Why is it that 90% of the people that come to our altars are women? Because we are a church full of prideful men. That's why. Who refuse to become undignified to honor God. That's the reason. I don't care what your story is. Men, it is time that we lead worship. It is time that our lives reflect a deep love for God that is abandoned recklessly to Him. Matt Redman wrote a song out of Second Samuel chapter 6. The, the title of the song is actually Undignified. And as our worship team comes, I want to read to you just a very small portion of this song. I will dance, I will sing, to be mad for my King. Nothing, Lord, is hindering the passion in my soul. Is anything hindering the passion in your soul this morning? And I will become even more undignified than this. Some would say it's foolishness. But I'll become even more undignified than this. I wonder this morning if that could be the kind of prayer... That each of us could say to God, and really mean it, that nothing will ever hinder our passion. Sometimes we try to curb our passion because we're so terrified of what it would look like if that got out. Let me say something this morning because you probably feel like I've ripped you and you're ready for the sermon to be over. This applies to me. You you'd be shocked to know my wife's here. She can testify. There are certain places that I go in this, co- this country where I have more freedom than I do in my own church. There are certain places I go. You would you would be shocked at how I act. I promise you. I've thought probably fifty times before, and I and and rolled it over with God. God, is it you or is it you know? I, I mean. But I thought about just running. I just can't get it out of me. You know the main reason I haven't? God knows this, I stand before you. The main reason I haven't, because I'm not real sure where I'd run in here. Place is too tight. I thought you could run to the back and run back down. I might sometime. You might think that's silly, but you don't understand what's in my soul sometimes. You weren't where I was when God saved me. This is not a game to me. This is, I'm not the CEO of some business with a bunch of people to try to impress. My life is His and I have nothing without Him. I've got kids that I never know the drug-addicted, selfish jerk of a person that I was before I was saved. I've got a God that's been faithful to me. For 14 years, through all of my stupidity and all of the falling on my face, He just doesn't give up. He just stays faithful. He just keeps blessing. He just keeps showing up. He just keeps being awesome. And sometimes when we sing about Him, it just starts to roll up in me. And I just want to run. And it's real. It's not a show. I'm not concerned about what you think. It's just I can't. I just don't like standing there. Something's got to come out. And so I'm talking to me as much as I'm talking to you this morning. Don't feel like I'm the the dad that's just got up and tried to hammer the children. No, this is us. Brothers and sisters, one of the most manly people this Bible's ever recorded was jumping and leaping like most of us would think was a blind fool. And the Bible says he did it before the Lord. God, help us to become more undignified than this. Father, we love you. This service is yours, Lord. God, you've known us, you've watched us, Father. You know we have no desire, God, to ever hype up anything. God, to try to be emotional, Father, for the sake of being emotional. But God, help us to be honest this morning with ourselves and just ask ourselves are we watchers or are we really worshipers? God, I pray this morning that your men in this place would begin to let change break and realize there's something manly about being undignified. It is manly. Don't let the devil tell us it's not. Help us to worship you, God. Not just now, God, but Lord, in each and every day. And God, as our church grows and as the weeks come, help us to worship you because you're worthy of it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Finish what you want to do, we ask it in Jesus' name.